UX Podcast Episode 88. Balancing business, technology, and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. I'm James Roy Lawson. And I'm Pat Axboom. Hello again. Hello again, James. It's, it's, it's you like doing all right? What are you, and you? <laughs> <laughs> it's like we haven't seen each other for ages. <laughs> <laughs> it's been almost two weeks. It has, like, hasn't it? like to our listeners, it really is like that. Yeah. Some of them listen to several in a row, you know. Oh, in that case, we s- listening patterns are different for different listeners. Oh, you're listeners. right. Yeah, I shouldn't. I shouldn't make because presumption. we're not live. And I shouldn't you. make presumptions about my users without no, actually we should actually researching. Research some of that mm. before. Yeah, actually, I let my I let my own preconceptions mm. and biases take over my my um, my decision making. Mm. You did, didn't mm. you? A bad UXer. Mm. Happens to the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. We're interviewing. None other today than uh, Jared Spool. I think uh, most yeah. of our lis- listeners will know who Jared Spool is, but well, he's like I don't know. There, are, there we do have some listeners that are that are outside of UX a little bit. Yeah. Um. So it's worth giving a little bit of background mm. about who Jared is. Well, he's like an icon in the usability world. He's uh, he's the founder of user interface engineering UIE. Yeah. He founded that in 1988, but he started working with usability and technology even before that in s- 1978 he's one according of those to his wikipedia page exactly he's one of those ones that's um that's worked with stuff before it was called yeah. what it is called now and before it was called what it was called before it was he called w- now he worked before it even happened yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, user interface engineering is also the host of uh, a conference called uh, the UIE conference mm. and they also have the braincast podcast is it brain? No, it's brain. Spoolcast. No, no, but it, Spoolcast is what it started out as when Jared had his first podcast in 2006. Then it was Spoolcast. Okay. Now, Spoolcast, I think, is just a category in the, the Brain Sparks. Brain Sparks. Um, brain Sparks, you're right. Yeah. Which is an excellent show. Yep. I listen to it a lot. Yep. And, well, have you got anything else to say about Jared? Because I was going to say a bit about, bit about why we're interviewing and what we're talking about. Yeah, go ahead. What um what happened was about um, oh in November a few weeks ago a few yeah a few weeks ago um Jared tweeted a tweet and um this this inspired us to to talk to him um and he happily said yes so well we're gonna chat to him about yes. this. I'm I'm kind of avoiding saying what the tweet was because. Well, I thought we can. Yeah, we'll mention that. We'll, mention we'll probably have to remind him what we he was. won't remember what he tweeted. I don't no. remember what I've tweeted, so I don't suppose yeah. Jared does. <laughs> uh, and just before we ring him, uh, today's show it's sponsored by User Testing. Peak by User Testing is the easiest way to see and hear videos of real people using your site or app. Visit usertesting.com/uxpodcast for a free Peak usability test and find out how you can give your users an experience they'll love. They'll be delighted. They will. Let's give Jared a ring. Hello. Hello, Jared. Hello there. Wow, handheld mics. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You've got the beats going. We've got too many cables. That's what it is. I expect you guys to start rapping. Oh, you mean? Oh, yeah. 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 Right. Look, I've realised I'm coordinated. I've got the red mic and the red headphones. Mm. I, I noticed that you you are fully accessorized with a with a maroon shirt. Yeah. Well, and... actually, yeah. It's um. Now you now I've cut you over American, so you won't recognise this. The the owl on the t-shirt is actually the the owl from the BBC microcomputer. Which was my yes, my, of course, of course, I yeah, remember that. Yeah, my my first computer in 1982. I didn't know that. And, didn't you know? And that? Here I thought it was just a, a a starting point for John Conway's life simulation. <laughs> wow, that dates me. Yeah, <laughs> that makes me old. Oh, don't, don't get started on the old old thing. I, um, <laughs> Sort of every every project, I, every project I do now, it kind of seems to be. I seem to be working with younger and younger art directors, and and True. kind of projects now just seem to work into storytelling with mm. James, where I kind of <laughs> relate more and more kind of stories mm. from the past and realise that these twenty-two-year-olds that I'm talking to straight out of school have no idea about some of these things. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, that's that's my life. I'm the, I've, I've, I'm slowly turning into Don Norman. <laughs> <laughs> Do, you know that is maybe that's how we all end. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Does it, doesn't the, the world won't end with a big bang? It'll just end with, end with all turning into Don Norman. <laughs> yes, yes, it's it's just you know. <laughs> I'm so I happy you wanted to do this, Jared, with us. Uh, oh, I'm a big fan. Yeah. I've been listening to you guys for years. Oh, excellent! Really? Wow! Yeah. That oh, makes us. That makes me blush. It's actually, wow. oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not unusual. So, I, so uh, I'll admit, I often listen to you at the gym. It's not unusual that I that uh, I find myself uh, uh, either mumbling under my breath or stopping my routine to take some note about something I want to write about later because of something you've said. <laughs> oh, <excellent. laughs> wow! Fantastic. Uh, uh, often in support of whatever you're talking about, just it it it, it inspires me. Oh, that was, yeah, that was the next question. If you, we made you mad, <laughs> uh, rarely, <laughs> rarely. How, <laughs> how cross with Mick Jared? Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, it takes a lot to make me mad. We actually met in 2002, which of course you won't remember, but I attended User Interface East. In Boston oh. in 2002. Oh, yes. That, that was a long time ago. It was. And we yeah, met in the bar because uh, I was whining to you about <laughs> all the American example, uh, examples. There were so many American examples I couldn't relate to. You've and, done and, that a few times. And you times told though. me, uh, well, what do you expect? It's an American conference. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like me. Yeah. <laughs> I I, we don't get out much around here, so yeah. we don't. So I didn't realize that was your first time you, you did that whinge. Because I've, I've heard you do that whinge at a few conferences. Yeah. Because here time. in European conferences, it's, it's quite often the case. Mm. It used to be. Maybe they're getting mm. better. But the Americans did used to give American examples. An well, it lot. used to be all, all Netflix example. But yeah. finally, two years ago, we, we, got, we got, Netflix. got Netflix. So now we can also relate to that. <laughs> right. Right. The, uh, uh, there, yeah, around that time, it was hard to find non-American examples uh, just because we didn't, because most of the examples were were localized businesses. They were, yeah. they weren't crossing borders, and and um, yeah, it was a, it was a hard time for that, and and got into that problem a lot. Mm. Um, uh, 
as the web was transitioning and still being very much now it's it's less of an issue uh in western cultures but you still for instance japanese or or chinese or korean examples are hard to come by and and americans can't relate to them really uh they they look they, they look completely foreign so, <laughs> yeah no yeah. i mean that's that's a good point with the kind of cross-cultural examples mm. uh, i mean it's it's, it's it's intrinsically tough because mm. the cultural differences are important and when they get to a certain extent then it's going to make the example so abstract that you're not going to be able to get your head around it yeah and then there's the links cars example that everyone loves to use oh links cars yeah. yeah well links cars is an international yeah exactly <laughs> And it, and it, just cross, it crosses border. It hey, if you, want a, if you want a fun homework assignment, um, go to Ling's Cars and do View Source. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It is it is worth the two minutes. Oh, wow. <laughs> Excellent. I'm going to do that. I didn't do that. Yeah. But the thing that got me was I, I, I put her up once as just a gag slide, and, and it was at a conference of, of 500 web developers, and... Within seconds, uh, everybody went to visit the site mm, yeah. mm. to go see if this is for real. Mm. And uh, she tweeted immediately that, that I was making the server under her bed <laughs> vibrate. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you see this, she's so, they're so good at keeping on, yeah. on brand. Even that little <laughs> comment is exactly on brand. Yes, it is. But <laughs> Maybe we should get on with the show. Yeah. <laughs> We could. Yeah. The, uh, the 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 seed to this show, uh, we could call it, was um, was a tweet that you tweeted um, on November the fifteenth. Oh, you're gonna make me remember how if if I was on brand on November the fifteenth. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, sorry, I, I can read it out for you, so you don't have to remember exactly what it was. Um, if your new UX strategy process doesn't start with deep user research, then your strategy isn't about UX. Oh, I remember making that. Yeah, mm. I, I I would still agree with that. It's only been, uh, you know, it's not quite a month. Twenty twenty six days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um one of our um, one of our other listeners. He um, um asked um well asked us if we could talk to you about it. Yeah. And we thought, yeah, that sounds a good idea. Um, and you agreed to it as well. Mm. So um, so here we are. Yeah, I'm, I'm up there. Yeah. And I think uh, the reason that this tweet really struck a chord with us is because it's been up as a topic before as well uh, with other people that, well, do I have to do the user research for me to, ha to uh, be able to call it UX or can I read a book and call it UX? That's sort of the gist of it. But I mean, if we start dissec dissecting your tweet, which talks about UX strategy, what is UX strategy really? So, I mean, I could take uh, uh, a piece of bread and I could put down some herring and some mayonnaise and then some uh, lettuce maybe and another piece of bread and I could call it a hamburger <laughs> <laughs> and if I'm big enough or if there's no one there to listen to me then it becomes a hamburger I mean you know you can call whatever you want UX mm. Um, but if you're trying to convince other people that this herring sandwich, which could be absolutely delicious as a hamburger, you've got this, uh, uh, 
cognitive dissonance between what they believe a hamburger to be and the sandwich that you're giving them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, why call it a hamburger? And I guess that's that's sort of where I was going with this, which is if 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 you're serious about UX strategy, I think the reason I tweeted this was because uh, I was talking to somebody who, in fact, was uh, telling me about their organization's UX strategy, and they had this whole timeline laid out, and it wasn't until way down in the timeline that they were going to introduce user research into their strategy process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I it, it's not... Users in a strategy are a strategy. It could be any other type of strategy, right? It could be a market-driven strategy. It could be a, a, an engineering-driven strategy. But it's not a, a, a design-focused, experience-focused UX strategy if it doesn't have research uh, at, the very, at the very core of it mm. because... Uh, it, at some level, you have to have reflection on the user's experience. Now, what that research is can vary dramatically from one organization to another and one institution. But, but, uh, but that, yeah, that's that's where that was coming from. Mm-hmm. Plus, I'd just gotten out of a you know all night binger, and I was just. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Think, yeah. Um... Grumpy as all. The best and, tweets you know, are born that way. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and I probably hadn't been flying for a few days and had run out of tweeting material. <laughs> it's all that. Uh, I always resort to design and UX stuff when I don't have anything to tweet about United Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> I think the um, what, one thing I start thinking about when we when we talk about UX strategy um, is, is it falls straight back to to UX maturity, um, and and I think. Well, if we, if we take the scale of UX maturity, we, we, I think there's that model with like one to six levels of, of UX maturity, where you know you're from unrecognized at the bottom to to fully embedded, and and following more like the kind of um, the, the the Disney example. I think you blogged about the other week, where it's 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 completely embedded in the entire organization, and everyone's got buy and everyone's enjoying it, and you're doing a really good integrated product. I've got I've got this hunch and this theory that UX strategy comes in. Only in the middle part of that maturity model, you know, when you when you kind of you you've maybe got UX departments, you're getting you're getting recognition at the board level, but it's it's not fully there. So that's when you need the UX strategy. The early stages, they have no idea what UX is. You've got to use other words to communicate what's going on and ideas. And then when you get to the full, the fully mature end of the scale, then then we're into we're into just business and products. And UX again so, so, so a strategy is just a uh, an approach to a desired outcome. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's a you you so in order to have a strategy, you have to have a desired outcome. Hmm. And this idea that you 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 are doing strategy or not doing strategy is is really a it, it's not it's not something you do, hmm. right? It's a mindset about how you're going to get to the outcome. Yeah. You know, it's it's actually a a, a military term, mm. right? Strategies are how force commanders communicate 
what the overall outcome is and then divide up the work amongst the forces. And, uh, you know, you're going to you're going to protect the flank to the right and I'm going to take my forces and come around to the left and and we're going to have, you know, uh, air cover. And, you know, it's it's this multi uh, group organization to achieve an outcome and the outcome is to you know move the force to an objective and so that's what strategy is and and in terms of a business a strategy is is the same thing it's how we're going to approach something and to me a ux strategy is a is a is a strategy by which the user's experience is the driving decision maker behind how we choose what's in and out of the strategy. So in a in a in a UX strategy, you you you're what you're basically doing is saying it doesn't matter whether the product technically works. It doesn't matter whether it meets our business objectives of generating the right amount of sales or producing the right amount of leads or or whatever that is. It only matters if it's designed well. Then we will ship it. Mm-hmm. And everybody needs to understand that that's the criteria by which we have decided we're done. And a... Um, a UX strategy is a uh, uh, to do that. It means that the organization has to have conversations. They have to have conversations about what does good enough to ship mean. And this is not new because if you're engineering driven, you also have to have a conversation that says what is good enough to ship. And if you're market driven, you also have to have a conversation that says what's good enough to ship. Right. In engineering driven, it has to be technically reliable and, and do what it needs to do. In, in a market driven organization, it has to meet the marketplace needs. So 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 that notion of having that conversation isn't isn't new to an organization. What's new to the organization is that it's about what is the user's experience. And a good UX strategy has a um, has rubrics that you can test. So that anybody in the organization can tell whether they've achieved it for their piece or they haven't. One of my favorite examples is this apocryphal story about Steve Jobs and one of the smaller iPod uh, mini iPod minis. The goal was to make the iPod as small as possible. And the team brought him a, a design. And he said, you need to make it smaller. And they said, we can't make it smaller. We've, we've packed all the wires in. We've packed all the circuitry in. This is the smallest we can make it. And he took the iPod and he walked over to the fish tank, as the story goes. And he dropped the iPod in the fish tank. And air bubbles came out. He says, there are air bubbles. You still have room. <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay. Now, now, what's really important about that story is not that... Steve Jobs was a complete dick. What's really important about that story is that he then gave the engineering department a rubric. They no longer needed him. They just needed a fish tank. Yeah. And and so now that they had the fish tank, they could test and make sure that the next prototype they brought him met that rubric. They could test and they had a, a, a visible goal as well. When the bubbles stop, they're there. 
Right, right. And everybody can see it. It's objective. Mm. Mm. Everybody interprets the data the same way. Mm. And it's clear. It's clearly communicated. Yeah. Right. Mm. Yeah. And so, 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 a UX strategy has to have have that. And part of the goal of user research is to help figure out what that is. Mm. Right. Part of the goal is to is to is to say when users do X or feel X or think X, we are done. Nice. Yeah. And 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 so you use the user research to figure that out. So that's where this came from. If you are not doing user research, you can't have a UX strategy because you can't set objective measures that everybody can see to tell if you're on strategy or not. And the desired outcome in this case, w case would be the tininess of the iPod Mini, like it has to be really small. And I think that was that was the goal that was uh, that was set. Now, yeah. whether that was the right goal is the same question as to whether the generals deciding to take that city or that castle mm. was the right goal, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, textbooks will be written in business schools for years as to whether the iPod Mini had to be as small as it was or whether you know, another goal was a better goal, just like military academies study whether taking that city was the right thing for the general to do, mm. right? And there's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking, which is a definitively mm. American term right. uh, um, for, uh, uh, for, you know, second guessing what everybody does. Yeah. But, but that's, that's a different part of strategizing, right? Picking the right goal. Mm -hmm. uh, but that but, also means you're not using the user research to find out if you pick the right goal. You're still sticking with the goal, but you're using the re user research to find out if you're actually uh, accomplishing the goal. Um, goals get set in lots of different ways. And so uh, uh, I can definitively see Contexts where which you would use user research to define the goal, uh, but that's that's different than using user research to tell if you've met the goal. Mm. Exactly. Here we've got we've got user research as an as an input to strategy work, um, and then you've got user research as a as a, as a validation tool during the tactical implementation um, of said plan. Right, right. So, so where you see the difference, one of the glaring places you see the difference uh, between those two different outcomes is uh, in the world of advertising. Because when you're using user research to determine if you've met the goal, if the goal is get users to see as many ads or click on as many ads as possible, because that's how we make money, then, uh, then your user research is all about figuring out ways to get users to click on ads or to see ads. But if you start with, we're going to create this publishing platform and we're going to figure out what makes users happiest, what delights users most, before we set our goals, you would never end up with advertising as a, as a, as a business model. Hmm. Because advertising actually is about disruption. Advertising is about uh, uh, destroying the user's 
uh, uh, focus. It's about getting users to click on things that have nothing to do with why the user came to your site or what they're trying to accomplish. So, so suddenly you would, you would pick something different for a business model if, you, if your goal was to delight and not frustrate your users. But if you don't have that as a goal, if that's not part of the input process because you didn't do the user research up front to say, you know, our users are unhappy with the way our site works, then you just make it more disruptive. You make it more inter interruptive. So for example, you might take an article which would be easiest to read in a single shot on a single screen and break it into 25 pieces so that you can serve more ads. Mm -hmm. You might put ads in the middle of the text so you'll be reading two paragraphs and suddenly there's a, there's something that that is an ad or uh, something that links to another article so that the user thinks that they're supposed to click on that when in fact you're taking them away mm -hmm. from the article they're reading to bring them something else so that you can serve more ads. And those types of patterns emerge when the goal is not a user-centered goal. The goal is a business-centered goal, but we're using user-centered techniques to achieve the business goal. And that's really an important distinction that a lot of folks are struggling with right now. Yeah. That just because you're doing user research doesn't mean you have a UX strategy, mm -hmm. which is the inverse of the tweet that I made. Mm -hmm. I have to make that one next year. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. no, that's a really, a really key point. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Because that's what a, pe a lot of people misunderstand about when they hire me is they think I'm there to actually help people understand the website the first time they look at it. They have to understand every element within the first few seconds they look at it. And that's how they try to measure how well I do in the project while I'm trying to figure out, well, what are you trying to accomplish with the mm -hmm. website? How mm -hmm. can I help, help you do your, do your business better? Mm. Uh, yeah, ex exactly. Mm. I mean, often often you turn up to a to a project and you're mm. expected to deliver something, whereas actually the first the first step is well, is what we're doing right? Mm. Uh, and that's that's kind of what I'm seeing more. I'm understanding a little bit more now about what we mean by the tweet. That the um, we've got this val validation using deep user research or, or interviews or whatever technique it is to to help us understand that the thing we think we need to produce is actually worth doing before we jump in and start doing it. Whereas a lot of occasions we do actually already start doing it. The decision's already made to, to make that web product or make that website. Mm. And we come there and then say, well, but we need to do user research. But a certain amount of that has mm. to be done beforehand to even have a vague idea that we're on the right path. Exactly. You need to define those goals and those desired outcomes. Mm. But how how do you know what is enough user research? Because one of the components of your tweet, which I'm d d still dissecting, <laughs> was <laughs> that we have to start with user research, but you, you never end with user research. I mean, you never stop doing it. I mean, you keep doing it iteratively until you accomplish your goal. But how do you know how much user research you have to do in it each iteration to actually get to where you're going? And how do you know you're using the right methodology? How do you know when your house is clean? <laughs> I never do. My wife tells me. It's it's no, I mean, it's quite easy. I have I have two kids and and whatever. Our house is never clean. Mm. <laughs> okay. The definition of clean is different <laughs> for me and my wife, definitely. Oh, oh uh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, there are things that are never done, right? Mm. Um, particularly if you really are a, a 
um, a UX driven organization, then user research becomes part of the DNA of the organization. So you're never, you're never thinking in terms of, of it being done. It's, it's just part of how you do things. Mm. And, you know, so for example, if, if, if you run a restaurant, you have tasks built into your daily routine about cleaning the restaurant. There are things that the health department mandates, but that's probably a minimum. You probably have a higher standard than what the health department mandates if you are if you're running a decent Hopefully. class restaurant. Mm. And and depending on on how much you charge for for the food and the and the sort of environment you're trying to make, how you clean and what it looks like when it's quote ready for a customer is a is is a shifting bar. Then you know uh, for some organizations it'll be different than others. Uh, but there are certain certain minimum standards that 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 you'll you'll come across and you'll say this is unacceptable and this is acceptable. And part of any organization's role, the management's role, the executive role, is to help define that bar of when something is acceptable or not acceptable. Mm. And again, the more objective you can be about that. So one answer about how much user research you do. Is it comes back to uh, what we call the the my brain just completely I, my vocabulary server crash. <laughs> Hold on, rebooting. Uh, it, what what we what we call the uh, moment. Damn it! I just had it. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, this, this, this feels like my I world. I not to drink oh. so much. I, lo I love that we have video now as well. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got it. Okay. I got it now. What we're talking about is the moment of least astonishment. This is okay. what we call it. The moment right. of least astonishment, right? Mm -hmm. So you go out and you are able to predict what you're going to learn in the research. Now, you have to be able to not confuse that with confirmation bias, which is a different phenomenon. Mm -hmm. But... But uh, so one of the exercises that I do with teams that I'm working with on a regular basis is I am always uh, uh, asking them what they believe will happen when we go out and do the research. Hmm. So if we have task-based research, I ask them, I tell them what we know about the participant who's coming in to do the tasks. And I say, what do you think we're going to see this participant do? Okay. What problems will they have? How quickly will they be able to accomplish the task? What pieces of this design will feel familiar to them? What pieces of this design will feel foreign to them? Right? And we have a whole conversation about this before we've watched the research. And uh, if we're going out into the field, I have the same conversation about the context and about the environment and about where this person fits in the field. If we're doing stuff that's more phenomenological and less task oriented, I, I ask what phenomena we may actually observe, what sort of things we would expect to see. And I, and, and I get them to start thinking and projecting what they believe the user's experiences will be. And then we have something solid to compare to. Right? We've got we've got what they expected and then we got what we actually observe. 
and we can see how often they get it right, and we can see how often they get it wrong. Mm -hmm. And we can compare these two things to each other. And frankly, if if it turns out they're like 90 to 100 percent accurate at uh, uh, at predicting what the users will do, and the parts where they get it wrong really aren't influencing the design outcomes at all, we can scale back on the research. Because these guys are literally living the dream. They are living <laughs> uh, uh, what users do. Mm -hmm. They know that experience well. Mm -hmm. But uh, if they can't predict that, then there's still a role for user research. Right. And, and all my clients expect me to be able to predict it all the time mm -hmm. because they don't want to pay a lot. Because they, they ask, ask for a price. Well, what does it cost? We want usability testing. What does it cost? We want user research. What does it cost? So that, that's the difficult part. So, My question for you is why is it an option? Right? So mm -hmm. now, uh, uh, do you tend to, to, to sketch? You primarily do design work, yes? Yeah, a lot of design work, yeah. Yeah. So now when you're doing your design work, do you tend to sketch your designs first or do you tend to go straight to the machine and code up in the browser? Sketch. Okay. Do you give them the option for sketching? No. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> because that's how I work. I look, it costs more for you to sketch it first yeah. <laughs> than to that's just excellent. start yeah. coding. Yeah. Right? So, so why are you letting mm. user research be an optional thing, but sketching not? This is what I don't understand, mm. right? I, I, mm. I, I completely get. Once you tell people things are optional, mm. right? You can have a car, and the tires are extra. Well, I guess I don't need the tires, right? <laughs> once, you, once you go down that road, you've created these decision mm. points for people for which they are the least qualified people in the room to make the decision. True. Why Giving them the choice. Hmm. It's depending also on how they ask the question. Well, it depends on, of course, what type of project I'm in. If I'm on a long-time project, usually I work the research, research into that. But if they're, if they're sending out, like, uh, to several different companies uh, asking for help, and they respond in, in, in a similar fashion, they usually do, companies that I've, I'm aware of, in a sense that they have the user research and they have, like, two testing periods with development in, in between and stuff like that. And that's how they compare different uh, suppliers. Also, the, I think this is a bit about, um, well, your target audience of your deliverable. Um, and sometimes, I, I mean, I, I, I think it's perfectly okay to not give the option of, of, of user research at, you know, at least at certain stages because maybe in that initial stage, um, the, the, the point is communicating a certain concept or idea or method or something to... Oh, the next person in the chain, which might be your client, or it might be a, a, a designer, or it might be something. It might, it's a step towards maybe doing the user research. It's not like you kind of avoid it every single time or kind of duck it. Um, but at that point... Oh, no, but uh, that also depends on the client. Yeah, but at, at that point, it's a, it's a c you've, yeah. you've got to communicate. So you've got to succeed in communicating, mm. um, and the you sketch might be good enough. agree on the problem as well. Yeah. It's what you're trying to do. And yeah. They need to get confidence in that I know what I'm doing. Mm. And if and if the sketching if the sketching um, communicates that and gets alignment and agreement, mm. then it's not necessarily that that expensive, Jared. It's it's it might be more costly to kind of do it straight in a browser because that wasn't the communication goal you had at that point with that deliverable. Right, right. I mean, it it you you get to make a call as mm. to whether this is the right thing to do in your process or not. But my point is, 
is that you're not giving them you're not making every element of your process a la carte yeah 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 right Granted. yeah and so every time someone complains to me mm. well the users won't you know the customers won't pay for this i'm like why did you give them an option mm -hmm. if it, you know the 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 doctor doesn't give you an option to wash his hands before he does the surgery. This is he's not breaking that out. Mm -hmm. Right? If this is a necessary component of the work, it is by definition a necessary component of the work. Yep. Yep. That is true. We're in complete agreement. Mm. It's well described. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> where were we? Uh just talking about yeah. uh, a la carte uh, usability services, oh, yeah. but um, uh, but we before that we were talking about you know user research as part of of, of the project. Mm. That's all because I tweeted after my binger. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I actually had one more question that I wrote up uh, earlier today that I thought about that people often when when this comes up again. Do I have to do the user research to actually do it right? And if I'm designing a web form, is it enough that I've read Luke Rabluski's book where he's done all this research about how to design the best web form? Is that enough to, to actually start working on my web form or do I have to actually go out and understand my users as well? Well, if you use the, the rule of the, of the point of least astonishment, mm. right? You have to do the user research to answer the question. Yes. Right? Mm. You have to do the user research to find out if you need to do the user research. Mm. And so, uh, unfortunately, the answer is yes, mm. you, because you don't know. Now, what it really does answer is how much user research do you have to do? Mm. Right? If you have a definition of clean in your restaurant, where the definition of clean is that there should not be any spots on any of the plates or silverware or 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 tablecloths or anything. That's a fairly objective measure. If you can see a spot that is not the natural look of that thing, it needs to be cleaned. Hmm. If you can't see the spot, it doesn't need to be cleaned. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, all sorts of grubby microbes crawling all over those things that uh, you can't see. That's not the that's not the rubric we're using. So if the rubric we're using to determine whether I need to do user research or not is when I do research, do I learn anything I didn't know? Then uh, I have to do the research, just like I have to look at all the silverware mm. to know whether it's clean or not. In some restaurants, it's acceptable to let the customer discover it's not clean yeah. and say, hey, this fork's not clean. Can I have another one? In other restaurants, that is an unacceptable behavior. And if that happens, there is a question as to what in our process could we change so that next time the customer isn't discovering a piece of dirty silverware. Yeah. Right? And there's a retrospective discussion about that. And for folks who are into process improvement and have that rubric and have that principle, customers should not be the ones who decide if this is a frustrating experience or not they're going to come to a different strategy and therefore a different set of tactics that get them to that outcome than people for which, well, why don't we just build something based on what we think is right and we'll ship it and we'll see what the customers say. In essence, every, every time you ship something, 
that's a user research process. You're doing user research when you ship. The question is, you know, is the outcome of that user research the outcome you're going to be happy with? If customers hate you because you've created something really frustrating, you now have lots of data to work with. But was that the right way to get the data? <clears throat> We're yeah. actually doing a show uh, soon about minimum viable product, and I think that's excellent input to that show as well. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You're describing everything so well, and I think it all seems to come down to that people don't even know why they're doing user research. They, they don't ha have the rubric. They don't have uh, the set goals uh, or the desired outcomes really defined. So they're actually just trying to find problems when they're doing user research. And they say, oh, my God, that user didn't understand that link. We have to fix that. And they're just chasing after these misunderstandings and these hurdle hurdles right. that people find. But they so, so, you know, mm. if you're going back to the military examples, mm. right, if you're a bunch of farmers who just every time somebody walks on your property, you take a pitchfork and a, and a torch and you go chase them off your property. That's not a military tactic. Right. That's not a that's not a strategy. That's just get off my lawn. Right. The the uh, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about this notion of, of at some point in maturity. Uh, which is, which, you know, maturity is just a fancy word for growing older and gaining experience. Turning into Don right? Norman. Right. So, yeah, turning into Don Norman. That's exactly right. So, so uh, um, uh, uh, there are a few people more mature than Don Norman. That is correct. <laughs> and so, um, uh, uh, that's going to be a tweet. The, <laughs> Um, uh, there's this notion of sort of awareness of there's a specific outcome I'm trying to get to. So I think people who don't have a strategy are just not aware of the outcome that they want to get. They haven't mm. thought about the outcome. They're just reacting. Reacting is not an outcome. It's not working towards an outcome. Yeah. Reacting might be uh, um, uh, keeping things at bay and maybe that's the outcome is you know I, I don't want things on my property so I'm going to push them away so maybe that is a strategy but if you haven't even given it that much thought it's just I don't like that guy I'm going to chase after him with a pitchfork and a, and a torch that's which is a very Don Norman thing to do I might add that's uh, um, uh, uh, that's not a strategy and so uh, the moment an organization gets a strategy is really because there's they've had this realization that there's an outcome they would like to dis to attain, and that's that's, an, that's sort of an epiphany moment. And then they have to figure out all the tools and methods for attaining it and gain the experience to get there, and and start making good judgments. Right? There's an old saying which is which is Good judgments come from experience, and experience comes from bad judgments. You sort of have to go through that process of making mistakes, which is really what the user research is there for. The user research is there to give you a feedback mechanism to tell you whether your, your approach to attaining the outcome actually worked. And when we do preliminary research, when we start 
looking at research up front, you know, for that input thing, what we're really doing is asking the question, have all the things that have been to tried to date working? Hmm. Right? And what is it about them that doesn't work? And so oftentimes you even have to go into that research with a sense of an outcome, right? The outcome may be we want to delight our customers or we want to delight them more than we're currently delighting them, hmm. right? That's yeah. our outcome. But, but you have to go into the research with that outcome so that you have a focus for the research so you can then come back and say, well, here's where we're delighting customers. Here's where we're not delighting them at all. And here's where we're delighting them a little, but we could do better. Hmm. And we don't want to break the places where it's working. We want to completely fix the places where it's not working. And we want to at least improve the places where it's working a little, but not as good as we imagine. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's someone throwing in another analogy here. It's like when you, you, your car's... Your car's leaking oil, and you take it to the, the the car mechanic to get it fixed. It's it's the car mechanic's job to fix the leaking, you know, the, the oil leak. Yeah. Right. It's not their job to kind of assess the kind of aerodynamic um, performance of your car and and make sure it drives faster. It's their job to just fix the oil. And I, I think some this is maybe a professional thing I for us. I guess that depends on the on the mechanic you go exactly. to. Exactly, and that's I think the professional uh, side of us that we're we're, we're sometimes. You know, in the roles that we have, you know, at, at times we 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 are being the mechanic and we're meant to be fixing and tinkering with things. It's a tactical thing. It's a change. We're fixing maybe a usability issue, and then at other times, you know, we've got a different different role and we're we're a little bit higher, you know, on a higher level, more holistic, and we're we're looking at something more strategic. Let me take that, let me take that, that analogy apart for a second. <laughs> okay, we go to the mechanic. Our intention is to get the oil changed, to fix the oil leak, hmm. right? In the process of fixing the oil leak, which the mechanic can do, the mechanic discovers that there are two belts that in the next five weeks, based on his experience, those belts are going to break, and at best they're going to leave you stranded because the car won't move. At worst, it will happen while the car is in motion, and it could be a health hazard, a safety issue, right? Should the mechanic who was hired to do the job of changing the fixing the oil leak suggest to you that you get that repaired while you're there is it yes because they're fixing a problem that's fixable but what the mechanic should also do is report back to the car manufacturer and say hey maybe you should look at the material you make your belts from because i think we could improve the material we make it from to make it last longer that's not something the customer's interested in at that point they want it fixed but the mechanism has to be there for him to report back the kind of improvement potential for the overall product while still fixing why, why did, the problem for the user. Well, okay, the so, so um, in the States, we have two types of mechanics. We have, we have independent mechanics, and then we have mechanics who work. Actually, they're all independent because the way the laws work in the United States, a car manufacturer actually can't sell their own cars. So all the dealerships that sell cars are independently owned yeah. uh, institutions, and they actually don't like talking to the manufacturer. Mm. In fact, they're not that interested in making the cars require less maintenance mm. because it doesn't help them, right? Their mm. incentives are someplace else. Mm. So this is real, actually a really interesting problem yeah. because in that construct, in that context, the 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 it's not the incentive for the mechanic to report back saying we should change the material of the belts. Mm. 
It's the manufacturer who needs to somehow give the mechanic incentive to report on the field results. Mm, yeah. Okay. And and this is part of, of any research process is to understand that business context and the incentives that are in place. Mm. Because the mechanic has no reason to tell the manufacturer to get rid of the part, the very lucrative part of his business where he replaces a $2 belt and charges $150, mm. right? And and so, you know, this is there. There's a there's a timing chain on Toyotas that goes at the seventy-five thousand mile mark, or at least it used to. I don't know if it still does. But when cars hit about seventy-five thousand miles, this timing chain just gives out the car stops moving, right? It's it's a chain that runs inside the engine, wow. and. Toyotas have had this problem. They, everybody knows about this problem. The actual chain costs fifteen dollars to make. Okay, but you have to take apart the entire engine to replace it. Hmm. So it's a fifteen hundred dollar replacement. Right. So, but it's also a safety issue. So you're always playing this game of do we let the customer? We know this thing breaks somewhere around the seventy-five thousand mile mark. Do we let the customer wait until that moment? And it may never break because for some reason you might be the lucky one, right? Hmm. Or do you, because the odds are good and it could be a safety issue, do you let the customer, uh, uh, do you pretty much force the customer to pay you the $1,500 because they've reached this point, right? And the mechanic is less, in, is less incented to say, you know, we should make a better chain than Toyota is. Toyota can come down the pike and say, look, we've remade our this model of car with a better chain. You will no longer have this $1,500 expense at the 75,000 mile mark. So therefore, we're going to charge you $1,500 more now or $700 or whatever it is, right? We've given you a better product. And that will make the customer happy. But that won't make the mechanic any happier. Right. So so you have to decide who your customer is, right? And some businesses will tell you that the mechanic is their customer. And some businesses will tell you that the end user is the customer. And and these are the types of decisions that 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 you make that will change your strategy and in both cases it's still UX. Yes. It's mm -hmm. still because you've done the research and you've set a strategy and you've picked your user and you've realized you no longer can make both users happy, so you have to pick the user that makes the most sense to the business, and you go there. A competitor might pick a different user, and that would give them a competitive advantage with that user group. Hmm. And that's what competition is for. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. right? Yeah, and that would just I mean, went, went into blue ocean strategy as well. <laughs> yeah, I've yet to figure out what that is. <laughs> I think you've cleared out uh, a lot of our questions. Actually, that's fun. I, I, I mean, it's. I'm gonna have everyone I know listen to this show because I'm think I'm thinking that from that tweet we had some preconceptions about what that tweet meant, and we had some arguments mm -hmm. about. Well, of course, you can call yourself a UX designer, but that wasn't really what the tweet was about. And now that you've explained it, you've explained the essence of UX strategy, why we do user research and how to go about uh, setting up your research and how to actually assess when you're done with the user research, research as well, which was 
amazing <laughs> in my mind. So thank, thank you for that, Jared. Uh, you're welcome. Mm. And I'm really mm. glad you didn't ask about the sheep. Because <laughs> that wasn't true. And whatever you heard, it's not true. I mean, it happened. But I wasn't there. No, not anymore. Okay. No. Well, I mean, <laughs> it was I last was night. There. I was there, but uh, I didn't have that much to do with it. Really, not that much at all. <laughs> this has been loads of fun. We, we, need, to, we fun. need to do this again. Yeah. Yes, that would be yeah. great. And I hope that, that next. Would... I hope that when this episode pops up, um, which actually this is actually going to go out later today. Um, well. Wow. So so next time you're at the gym, um, I, I hope you can cope listening. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I'll take notes. It'll make me angry. Exactly. <laughs> you, have to, you have to ring in and complain at our next, um, on our next user phone in. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd be happy to do this again. This would be fun. You, you, can, you, can, you can find some other tweet I've said yes. and ask me what the hell I was thinking. And I'll, It'll I'll be construct a... an entire scenario around it as if that's what I was thinking exactly. when I said it. It'll be a new, th- <laughs> it will be a new theme show with yeah. Jared's tweet. Yeah, Jared Watch. Yeah. 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 Help us interpret Jared's yeah. tweets. <laughs> what did Jared say? Sometimes, yeah. they're, sometimes they're just inscrutable. Yeah. <laughs> and, still, and still get 100 retweets. Exactly. Yes, my my uh, wife uh, uh, accuses me of that all the time. That that <laughs> that I I can write a tweet about a fart and it will get retweeted a hundred times. And uh, she's um, right; it's true. <laughs> you can test that, of course. We have tested that oh, actually. Okay. It was there's a hypothesis, <laughs> and I think it did actually <laughs> get tweeted. <laughs> right. Well, thank you very very yeah. much for joining us, Jerry. Thanks. We'll talk oh, to you well, again. thank you for having me. Yes, yes, please. And uh, uh, We have to come over to one of your conferences, of course. You should come yeah. to one of my conferences. Uh, uh, you know, um, uh, we had a conference last spring, uh, the, the UX Immersion Conference. Mm. And, uh, uh, yeah, if you go to UXIM15, I'm sorry, UXIM.co, UXIM. UXimmersion.co, you'll get to see the videos of the presentations that people gave. We have videos from uh, Luke Grabluski and Karen McGrain. I gave a talk, uh, Nate Shuda, uh, uh, Sid Harrell, um, and uh, they they're they're up on the uh, on the website now, and and you can you can watch them. That's fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> That conference, the the 2015 conference, is going to be in Salt Lake City, uh, April 13th through 15th, and uh, we have got a uh, a great lineup, which we'll be announcing on January 7th uh, for that event. I think it's it's one of our best, so it's going to be a lot of fun, nice. and we've been working. On all the materials for that, and uh, so I'm excited about it. Mm. Do you know, actually, I am in America um, for at least one of the days of that. So really? <laughs> yeah, but I'm flying back on the oh, okay. um, on the 14th. So, oh. dude, dude, you should change. Come to Salt Lake. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Salt Lake and Stockholm have a, a a little bit of a similar feel. There isn't as much as the old city of Stockholm, but in the more modern parts, Salt Lake and Stockholm feel very, very similar because. The climates are very similar, mm-hmm. uh, um, and uh, 
uh, and the people are like the nicest people on the planet. Hmm. They are they are just uh, just like Stockholm. And so it's, <laughs> at least in the summertime. <laughs> yes, yes, We're quite nice in winter too. Uh, April is such that it's it's just towards the end of skiing season, but you travel is easy at that point, so it all works out really nice, and, and we're really excited to be there. Um, so it's going to be a good event. Okay. Have a great Take day, Joe. Have bye a good day. If you get work. Yep. Bye bye. Bye bye. Do you know what? I'm going to have a problem? What? Well, whenever we're recording UX podcast now, I'm going to have a mental image of Jared on a rowing machine in the gym. And after you said that, now I am as well. <laughs> that is my biggest takeaway from this interview <laughs> <laughs> mental imagery. Yes. No, there was believe more comes from the interview. <laughs> yeah, for a few, as you <laughs> probably heard, I was I was really impressed by how he how clearly he can just break it down and have real world examples of just everyday life and make it seem so simple that it's so obvious to you that of course this is how you do it. How else would you do it? I also hate that when he when he calls me out that why <laughs> why 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 am I allowing the actual actual customer to have options mm. why don't i just solve the problem for them mm. uh, which of course is also true <laughs> but i'm thinking well if you're jared spool you can do whatever you want but i'm just struggling struggling freelancer here no but you think you're perhaps <laughs> nah, do whatever you want I, too so you can get away with whatever it. I want. but um, no it's, it's actually it's actually always good fun mm. interviewing someone who really does know their stuff mm. because they've 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 got an answer to everything yeah um but no, the it, um, yeah, his points about maturity and experience. I mean, that's really important as well that you have actually mm. struggled and found out the hard mm. way. But I think uh, I d- I'm going to I am going to think it, I'm going to try and process now and think a bit more about this. Um, I, I try try to get the point across a bit during the podcast there with the um, these two these two roles within research user research that we we have often have both. Um, Jared didn't buy completely my car mechanic oil analogy mm-hmm. but I'm going I'm to stick with that I'm going to play with it in my head a little bit more that mm-hmm. you know I, I, it feels at times that you kind of go in there to do like usability testing mm-hmm. or research that aims to fix you know tinkers with mm-hmm. little things to make things better mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, I'm improving bits of a website making kind of a, a, a button perform better or I'm doing mi- micro changes I suppose mm-hmm. maybe I'm just changing a little text line of content mm-hmm. that to me is kind of fixing a little oil leak but then there's other types of research I do to 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 validate whether this is even the right website to have, right? And and I think and there are two roles. Yeah, sure. Sometimes sometimes we really do only have one mm-hmm. of those roles. That it's really not on the cards mm-hmm. for us to do that kind of more mm-hmm. holistic, big picture right. thinking and feedback about how it all is. Um, so I don't think Jared was disagreeing with you about that, but he was just saying those are different strategies. Yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't saying he was disagreeing. Yeah. I was just. I'm, I'm gonna mm-hmm. keep working on it a bit more. That. Um, so when you were talking about this analogy with the car mechanic, I was all, all the time thinking about how that applies to a content management system mm. where you actually, if you're working with the content management system as a consultant, uh, as an expert on, on that system for a client, then you're perhaps tweaking and, and changing texts as, as you will. But maybe you'll, you'll find something with that CMS that is sort of broken that mm. really mm. <laughs> hurts you. Or hurts the client in some way, mm. and then maybe you'll, you you were thinking, yeah, then you'll give the feedback to the actual vendor of that CMS to fix that whatever mistake it yeah. is that they have the in their code. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But 
what Jared is then implying is that maybe you don't have the incentive to do that mm. if it mm. gives you more work. Yep, and went to the whole yeah. client, agency, vendor, yeah. mishmash of problems and stuff. And yeah, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna chew, chew on it and think about it a bit more. Mm. Okay. Yep. Well, um, that was that for today then. Mm. Um, but before we do go, before you all switch off and skip to the next episode of whatever you're listening to, mm. um, remember you can visit uxpodcast.com and you'll find links and stuff and links that Jared's mentioned now will be up there and a mm. few bits and bobs um, and all the previous shows. Um, if you've enjoyed the show, then make sure you like follow us on various mm. places and um, tell your friends mm. and if you really feel kind and warm and lovely now and it's Christmas give us a Christmas present and our Christmas present would be give us a review somewhere yes that would be nice plus give money to charity Get a rev- give us a review give us a review do it mm. <laughs> and um, also um, remember to um, um, visit um, usertesting.com slash UX podcast to try Peak for free yeah and now that we've <laughs> dedicated this entire show to user research Visit that link. You can get some. You can get some yeah. free, real user research. Yeah. So take the chance. Do that. And also, remember to keep moving. See you on the other side.